0: Welcome to the Women Owned Wednesday podcast by Ellie Jane. I'm Ellie Rowe, entrepreneur and founder of Ellie Jane Collective. And today we're talking with Megan Sagara, chef, cocktail guru, and new author of the Share Love With Food Cookbook, a cookbook of 21 plant-based recipes. Megan was actually referred to me by a friend of mine. And you know how sometimes in life, you meet people you feel like you've known forever? Yeah, well, she's one of those people. (laughs) And in this episode, I talk with her about many things, including her cookbook and what it was like to suddenly find herself out of a job in the beginning of the pandemic, but also about the experience of being a woman in a male-dominated industry, finding your power and wielding it with a force that makes you formidable, no matter what your gender. She makes some amazing food analogies, and we indulge in a cocktail while we chat, so I mean, it doesn't really get much better than that. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it, so without further ado... Thank you everybody for tuning in. I am talking with Megan Sagara today, chef, cocktail guru, and new author of Share Love with Food Cookbook. It's a cookbook of 21 plant-based recipes. Thank you Megan so much for joining us today.
1: Hi Ellie, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you. So why
0: don't we go ahead and just dive right in and talk a little bit about covid because why not i mean (laughs) and kind of what how that kind of catapulted you because it did right it changed a lot of things for you
1: yeah yeah um so covid has been a wild ride no doubt um so uh i was displaced from my job like millions of other people in uh this world in america in this world um due to the due to the COVID-19 um, pandemic. And um, it was really hard. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's It was not an easy pill to swallow. Um, I actually did a lot of volunteer work in the beginning. And I was just like, I need to do something with my time. Um, and I, I just, I needed to feel like I was doing something. Um, but I, so I was making the most of it. The restaurant that I was working for at the time, um, basically it's this three-story restaurant called Homestead in Petworth, um, has you know two bars, has three bars, you know three stories, three outdoor spaces. This huge restaurant was now functioning out of a window in the front of the restaurant, and to help him, help the owner get through that, I volunteered a lot of my time and to, to help that transition happen. Um, and really make the most of it. Uh, we did something called Feed One Forward, where we fed uh, people in the in, people in the community that um, were food insecure. We fed frontline workers. Um, so for me, I felt like we were doing something, but the reality was it was still really challenging. Um, but yeah, outside of trying to find a job, which became like a full-time job because yes. the amount of people that are not hiring someone at my level, you know, it was just like, okay, so what do I do? Um, and I mean, I will say I've probably watched more TV in the last eight months than I have in the last <laughs> eight years. Like, I'm not going to lie. Um, I'm constantly people being like, "Have you ever seen this show?" And I'm like, "No. What is it about?" Like, gosh, you're just have you lived in a bubble? I'm like, no, I just work a lot. Um, so I, I, you know, and I've allowed myself to do that. First, I was just like, "I'm not going to watch TV. I'm just going to work out and eat right and do all the things and just make myself better." And it was just like, yeah, that's like really hard to maintain. Um, but once we went into quarantine. And this was like a thing, and it was it was a little scary. My stepdad um, is a surgeon in New York. Um, he actually used to work at Brookdale Hospital. He actually sw- recently moved hospitals, but Brookdale Hospital if people don't remember was like the hospital that had the most amount of those trucks in the back. Um, and so he was there, and he ended up getting COVID early on, um, probably through meeting you know someone at the hospital. And so like this moment of, this is something real, take it seriously, uh, set in. And so not leaving my house was an extreme, was very extreme for me. Cause I probably never like really slept here, uh, as much as I used to work. And I started to do COVID comfort food on Maganda kitchen. So I have this Maganda kitchen social media outlet page. And I had started with 100 happy recipes when I first started it. And then I transitioned to COVID, you know, Corona comfort food, COVID comfort food, quarantine comfort food. It was just like, we're home. Let's eat right. Let's have fun. Like everyone could laugh at me because normally people end up like laughing at me because I'm a weirdo. (laughs) What can I say? Um, And it was a lot of fun. And a lot of more, a lot more people were getting involved. Um, One day I decided to do a quarantine cocktail and that just kind of, I had gotten more DMs off a quarantine cocktail than I had ever gotten off of any really any of my other food recipes, um, and yeah, it just kind of like slowly became that. And Maganda um, Kitchen, um, the quarantine cocktails, everything was 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 really big in the beginning. And then I took a James Beard class on cookbook writing, and they're like, your cook cookbooks actually you know on average take two and a half years. And I was like, well, then I better get started. <laughs> I mean, I have all the time now. Let's let's just try. If I, It's going to be two and a half years, and let me just maybe knock off some of that time now. Um, and in the end, I, uh, I ended up writing a cookbook. And it released um, a plant-based cookbook, 21 Recipes, that released on November 1st, World Vegan Day. And we sold out in three days. That's insane. And it was really crazy. It was insane. I did not see that coming.
0: And you're self-published, right? You self-published that book.
1: Yeah. So the first round of books, because the book, okay, so you know how you, you know, when you get a cookbook and there's not a lot of photos and you're Mm -hmm. like, where are all the photos and where are the photos that of what you actually did? Like, I don't just need to see what the doctored photo of what you (laughs) wanted to look like in the end. Like, I wanted to know, like, at what point does it really look like that? Um, so I told myself if I wrote a cookbook, I would do that. And I wanted to make it very organic. So I also took all the photos in the book. Wow. Um, and I took this, like, I wanted to make sure that the photos looked real, that at that stage of that recipe, that's what my food looks like. And yep. especially because I do cook, I'm Filipino, Puerto Rican, you know, cooking for me was not just like a measure, you know, measuring cup and measuring spoons. And, you know, there's like that, that joke about how do you cook rice? You put your finger in the rice, you know, <laughs> it's like that's a real thing. I was, I was shooting an episode of uh, Magandek kitchen once a while ago and my dp was like is did you do you really stick your finger i was like oh yeah that's the that's the line right there buddy that's the line (laughs) you you put in the rice you put that finger up. you good we good you know it's like how how you learn and so a lot of maganda kitchen because a lot of share love with food is a cookbook so i do have to have certain parameters so people can follow along but a lot of the book i wanted to have that a lot of more of you know, I use a handful. You you could yeah. smell it. Do you like it lumpy? Because I like it lumpy. If you don't like it lumpy, blend it longer. Like having these little moments of tidbits of like, let's like you know, how do we make it yours? How do you make it your own? Um, but yeah, so I uh, I feel like I digressed into a whole nother area. But yeah, <laughs> I, it was that's the, yeah, I did all the photos. I created all, it in the create the recipes, and it was it, um and because I so many photos, the book cost a lot of money to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna go soft cover. Soft covers are easier. They're a little bit cheaper. Do a wide distribution. Go through a self-publishing uh, company. Get it on Amazon. Move on with my life. And I'd so many people be like, you can't do a soft cover. You have to do a hard cover. Just do one hard cover. Just do like a small batch of hard covers. And so I did. Um, I did a hundred hard cover limited edition copies. And those are the copies that sold out in three days. And then the wide release will be the soft cover and that will be coming, um, early next year. Wow. So congratulations. That's so exciting. Thank you.
0: So I'm glad you're having a cocktail too, because
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know you're like, have a glass of wine. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> <I know.
0: laughs> I'm like, that's what I have my margarita right here.
1: Yes. I'm
0: always like, I'm always having a little beverage while I do these podcasts. Cause you know, it just makes everything better. Um, it does <laughs> but um, so we'll, we can cheers virtually cheers um, but cheers. I think I wanted to go back a little bit too and kind of talk about how kind of what your background because people who maybe don't know what your background is might be interested to hear you know you were working in the restaurant industry and then you kind of just taught yourself all of this stuff but what is your expertise in, or what would you say your interests were prior to this?
1: Um, so I was an operator. Um, I was an operations director. I helped a hospitality groups make money, essentially. Um, I started, I started like, I, it's so weird. I started, I started off, I was doing makeup. I was a makeup artist for Mac Corporate for through uh, the end of college and then right after college. And I was having dinner with my cousin one day and he had said how much money he made as a server. And I was like, I could get with that. (laughs) I can get with that right away. Um, And so I became like a freelance makeup artist just on big jobs. And I started working in food. Um, I started working in food also because at the time Um, I was a commercial hair model. I was an industry hair model. I was a fit model. I had uh, my SAG card. I was doing small roles on different shows and under five roles in in movies and whatnot. And um, I just wanted a job that would allow me to live that life, like live that dream. And little by little, I started to grow within the hospitality industry. I started as a server with zero experience, where I found out later on it was illegal for them to do this, but whatever. Um, they're like, we're not going to pay you to train because we're not here to teach anyone how to be a server. And I was like, I'm so sorry. What? So like my first week on the job, I didn't even get. I never got paid. Um, I didn't get paid till my second week because uh, I had to do two weeks. Like I got had, had a longer training than everyone else because I'd never done it before. Um, but what I found in that was this desire to learn. And because I wanted to know just as much as the person standing next to me that had more experience, uh, education became huge for me. Um, I love food. I love beverage. I know sometimes people think like, because I'm plant-based now, all of a sudden, like, I'm a food hater. I'm not. I love to eat. Um, And I love to, like, I love the art of dining. Um, My mom was very good about Giving us experiences from a young age, going to different types of restaurants. So the art of dining, I think, has been also ingrained in who I am and in like the makeup of my person as as me as Megan. Because um, so I started as a server that had maybe two three shifts a week. To uh, over time, I became a manager at a by the, my third or fourth restaurant that I'd been at, and then. Um, I started managing and my management job actually happened randomly because I had someone that I worked with was like, I always wanted to make you manager. I have a manager that's out of town. He's taking a sabbatical. I just need a manager for three months. And he's like, could you do it for me? I was like, all right, I'll do it for three months. But my other job saw me managing at this other place. And and I didn't know, I thought maybe there was maybe a non-compete because he was like, I get an email, like, can I please see you in my office, like, the next day, and I was like, oh, great, and I'm gonna get fired, because I'm helping this guy out, and uh, I get into his office, and he's like, I didn't know you wanted to manage, I was like, there's no management job for me here, like, all the jobs are filled, and he's like, I'll create one for you, he's like, you manage for me, I'll create a job for you, and that really started my kind of more corporate uh, food and beverage knowledge, I was immersed in it, I took care of all education, so I did food pairings, working with chefs, food education, beverage education, like everything kind of fell on my lap with a couple of the other managers and little by little by little training program, how do you serve, really the art of dining, um, and at the time I was working at different venue spaces in New York, um, I worked for Blue Note um, on West 4th Street, the historic jazz club, and then I worked at Joe's Pub at the public theater with the public theater for uh, seven years or some, something like that. And those were probably the best times of my life. And I will still say to this day, Kevin Abbott was probably the best mentor I could have ever had in the art of dining and food and beverage and working for NoHo Hospitality. Um, then I went and open, helped open Buna Waikiki in Waikiki, Hawaii. Uh, Went back to the Blue Note, and then I came back to the mainland, and I started running the Howard Theater, trying to help them out, trying to get everything squared away there. That was a huge undertaking. Um, And then I started to consult. start consulting with different places, taking on different roles. And then all of a sudden, I landed at Homestead. uh, I was actually referred to the job by two people that didn't know each other, both told the owner, like, hey, you should take a meeting with, you know, with Megan. You don't know who she is. And I took a meeting with the owner and Nick Macaris is still probably one of my closest friends till this day. And I fell in love with Homestead. I fell in love with the, what he was trying to do. And about nine months, seven to seven or nine months into me working there, we parted ways with the chef and I took over the kitchen. And so the last couple of years there, I ran the front of house and I ran the back of house. Um, and it was warm, really of a collaborative effort. Um, and and then we're here now. It feels like a whirlwind. I say it out loud. And I'm like, dang, how old am I? I know I'm old, <laughs> but I, I, when you say it out loud, you're like, dang, you're old. <laughs> well, also, um, it just sounds it really like you're lives. kind of a
0: jack of all trades.
1: Yeah, you know, I feel like I've always been kind of a Jane of all trades. I, I, uh,
0: yeah, Jane, I, I will, sorry. Yeah,
1: no, don't be sorry. Um, I feel like I've always been. I, I, my, mom, my mom was a single mom for a lot of my life, and so she always had me in activities. So, cause it was like, if my mom's working, she got to put her kids somewhere, right? And so if it wasn't dancing, then I was performing this, I was painting, I was, you know, you should put me on Girl Scouts, you know, she's like, you got to go somewhere, <laughs> go learn something new. And so I think because of that, um, I, I get that from her. I really do. She she really is a Jane of all trades. Uh, and, you know, she she's someone, I mean, she she got her master's and now she has her PhD while like kind of being like, working full-time and being a mom to us, so she's kind of amazing. It's shout out to Eileen, shout out to my mom. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you said in
0: that, in, um, in what you were just talking about, plant-based now, so that leads me to my next question, which is, um, were you always plant-based, and what made you make the switch?
1: I have not always been plant-based, um i was pescatarian for almost 19 years when i think of it now i well I'm like well it was a long time um i was in a relationship with someone that challenged me or we challenged each other to go plant-based for a month and i was already pescatarian so it wasn't that much of a challenge and um we watched a bunch of documentaries and <laughs> in that time frame. It was like the moment I was craving like a cheese pizza. It's like, let's watch another documentary about how we're not <laughs> gonna eat that. Um and for some, for some reason some of it just kinda sticked, like it just kinda stayed with me. Um I I am you know, I don't ever want to feel like I'm not having something I really want. But at the end of the day, it's been so long. I've been plant-based now for almost four years. And I just don't crave it anymore. There are times where I think I crave it. I've, I mean, but I used to have this dream when I, was plant, when I was pescatarian. I always have this dream that I'm bathing in a bucket of fried chicken. And I don't know what that means, but it happens often. It happens like once every quarter. Like, I'm like what is that? What is that moment where it's just like is, bathing in a bucket it? of fried chicken? <laughs> and I'm just in it. I'm just like, this is the best. And it's like, <laughs> then I wake up like, what was that about? Um, and it's like real crispy. Uh, maybe so it's like the, but I never, but it's like what I, rec- I don't really crave chick. I don't really crave fried chicken anymore. I was that that's, that ship sailed a long time ago, but, uh, but I still have, so I don't know. I don't know what that means. I bet like someone that someone could help me. Uh, maybe a psychologist but, or someone can tell us. Someone yeah. Can- someone can tell me like, what is that about? Where do, when does that pop up for you? <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so, you no, know, I never want to feel like I'm like not having something I want. Um, but at the same time i think over over time i have just kind of it just slowly kind of took everything out of my diet and and i don't miss no meals i mean i'm like i am not a snack i am the whole meal there is a whole <laughs> lot of like i have like that you know covid comfort food gut <laughs> you know? it's, it's there. real mm-hmm. it's real so um, but yeah, I, it's, it was over time, but it's been about four years I've been plant-based.
0: Wow. So what are the biggest differences that you found in, I mean, I know it's been a long time, but like, what were the transitions like? Because I know my, you know, my brother was vegan for a long time and he always struggled when we would go to restaurants. Now, obviously it's a little bit more mainstream, but previously he would always struggle to find things that yeah. were tasty. And also plant based. It was always hard. Yeah. It's a struggle for him.
1: I'm not gonna lie. So it's still a struggle. It, it definitely is still a struggle. I would love for to. I would love for a spa- spaces to be more inclusive. Um, before COVID, I, I used to do this uh, social media spot called Experience Plant Based DC, and okay. I loved it. I wish I could have continued doing Experience Plant Based DC forever. And I did uh, Experience Plant Based DC at home supporting local you know order from somewhere local get their plant-based item on their menu so there are a lot of restaurants out there that do offer food you know for for plant-based people now so I think I wish there were more absolutely but I think also because I know food and I understand food I also understand the restaurant system that it's like I feel empowered to say hey can I have that but can I just have this on it instead, like I saw that you have mushrooms. Can I just have mushrooms instead, or can I just have? And I just speak up. My my youngest sister is vegan, and she, she actually became vegan before I did. And she loves when she goes out to eat me because she's this like, uh, she's like, "How could can you just order for me?" Because I'm afraid to ask them. And I'm like, "Girl, you better learn now." I was like, "You're eighteen years old. <laughs> you better learn how to ask for things." um But you know, in a way to be like respectful, it's just like I can. I I think because I understand how the systems work, I understand what is an astronomical ask and what's a pretty relatively normal ask to have, you know, to have. Um, But it is challenging. It is challenging. Like going on a date and like trying to find things to eat and I never want to be someone that's like, no, you have to go to only vegan places. It's like, no, let's find something I can eat wherever you want to eat. You know, those let's i want to be i you know that's cuz that's just the life that's just how it is um but i will say it's still challenging you know when i first became pescatarian i felt like i ate potatoes every day it was just like every restaurant i was like what do you got for her it's like i got a baked potato and a hot and a side salad you know <laughs> um because back then you know my I was so young it wasn't like I was gonna be like hey mom can I order the shrimp and the salmon and the you know the stuff that's expensive on the menu my mom's like this is your choice so you're not breaking the bank because you <laughs> have you've decided to not eat meat you know and not eat chicken or the other things um, so it, it it's, it's changed a little bit I wish it has progressed more um, that is probably one of my dreams one of my goals is to be able to expand experience plant-based DC and to experience plant-based around the United States and around the world. Because I do think that there are options out there. Um, and I do think that having something like that will encourage people to want to, want to you know, do that for their diners, want to do that for, for their guests. Um, it's like gluten-free, right? It was right. a crazy thing for a while, right? And now you go, really, you can go to any restaurant, probably in the world, maybe not in the world, but most restaurants... <laughs> You'll see, like, what is the group? What is the gluten free option? I mean, they have gluten free options in Italy. I mean, come on, it's Italy. There's pasta, there's bread, like, and then they still have this is your gluten free option, this is what you're gonna have. So, I do think it's going to be on that trajectory, or that's my hope. Um, but you know, making food, I mean, I so much of share love with food is making food that is flavorful, colorful, and for me, meaningful, you know, Mm -hmm. something you would want to share with someone hmm
0: Yeah. yeah. I, it's interesting because as restaurant people, myself included, so my my boyfriend worked for um, Clyde's restaurant group for 10 years. Um, he was a bartender. That's how we met. And so I think, you know, when you go to a restaurant or you go to dine out, your perspective of the level of service, the food, the accommodations, it's very much based on your experience as a waiter, a waitress, or a chef, or a manager, you know, you think about things that I think people who have not been in the restaurant industry don't think about. And I honestly yeah. feel that it's an education in and of itself of hum- hum- humbleness, like just being hum- humility, you know. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And then also just, cusp- like, just, I don't know, being a nice person, being compassionate, thinking about others. And then, mm-hmm. The food too, it kind of gives you a background. Like you said, it's like, you're not walking into a restaurant being like, I need this, this, and this. And if I don't get it, I'm walking out. You know, it's, it's a different level of like dining experience. Like you said, when you have had the experience of being on the other side of it.
1: Oh, 100%. I have gone out with family members and I already know I have to put money in my pocket to go up to the servers, the service staff and be like, please, I'm so sorry they haven't learned the lessons yet right. and I will give them money because I feel bad and I can sit there at the table and just say like you guys look at the r- I always say look at the room like whenever I, my family I think now knows it because they've heard me do it so many times watch the room there's one girl running around here she's obviously overwhelmed right. why are we why are we annoyed about not having our glasses filled you know, this is not a moment to have that. This is a moment to have compassion, have some humility, have to have some understanding. But I do think that that goes both ways. Mm-hmm. You know, it is how you ask. Like, like my, when I'm with my sister, it's how you ask. There are no, there aren't quote unquote, no demands that I feel like I would ever make in a restaurant. Um, there's a lot of leeway that I give, but those, you know, requests, I don't ever want to be like, create, like, this is not like, you know, what, what is. I used to work with this chef. He, he would say, um, this isn't Burger King. You can't have it your way. You know, it's like, yeah. it's, it's like that. Or it was at McDonald's. It's, I think it's Burger King. It's like, you can't have it your way. Yeah. Um, it's not like create your own meal, you know, cause I sometimes we'll feel like that is disrespectful, you know, to, to the, to the operation, to be like, can you just put this on a plate for me? Like that would, if someone did that to me, it would drive me nuts. Um, but it's like seeing a, seeing a menu item. And it's like, can you potentially do that without cheese? Could you mm-hmm. potentially do that instead in instead of the salmon, can I just get mushrooms? Or can I just get extra vegetable vech- melange or whatever it may be? Um, but yeah, so it I do think it's a, a skill that has to be learned. And that, like I said, my I was very lucky. My mom, learning the art of dining at a young age and respecting, my mom was also a server when she was in medical school or when she was in nursing school. So it's like, she, from an early age, we learned like, you got to respect those people, you know, you got to respect everyone that's killing themselves so that we can have a a full experience, you know? Yeah. I
0: think actually, you know, saying that, um, that was something that I wanted to talk about too, is kind of like the art of the pivot kind of, you know, talking, going from restaurant to figuring out what it was that you wanted to do from that point on. And, how do you feel now, you know, looking back at the situation? Were you scared to write a cookbook? Did you feel at any point like it's not good enough? It's, I don't want to share it. It's not ready, you know, because I struggle with that a lot. And so I always wonder if other people struggle with that too.
1: Uh, yes, all of the above. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a roller coaster. I think also the roller coaster is because there is so much unknown. Yeah. You know, I'm a planner. But it's hard to plan something when something catastrophic is happening in the world, right? Uh, so I had to kind to ha- have to kind of like turn off that side of my brain a little bit, like that control freak, um, the operator, right? The thing that makes me good at what I do as an operator has to kind of shut up and sit down for five seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, a pivot. I think for me. Once again, I'm going to, I did not think I was going to talk about my mother as much as I am, but my mother has pivoted so many times in her life that I've had a great example of it. Um, My mom was a nurse for many years. Then she went to labor and delivery. Then she went into becoming a lactation consultant. She went to medical research. She got her master's in medical informatics, started doing research development for hospital groups went back into some type of nurse. It was just like this, like constant, like, what is she doing this week? And then there's times where she was working three jobs. You know, she worked at Montgomery ward. I don't know if anyone knows the Montgomery ward was, she did that. Mm-hmm. And she worked at the birthing center. She worked in a research area, in, in a research um, arm of a hospital. And it was just this constant, you know, thing that was happening And my, and one day, um, you know, my parents are not together. And so she was doing a lot of it alone. And one day, I would, I, you know, every morning she would get up on the stairmaster. We had a stairmaster in her bedroom, and she would just get on the stairmaster and do like 30 minutes. And one day, I was like, Mom, like, how do you, and I was like dancing back then. I was, you know, a student trying to do what I could. I was like, How do you have the energy? Like, I don't know where you get it from. And she was like, Today is the first day of the rest of your life, you better make it count. And I'm just like, Yes, queen. And it was really that, and I feel like that has, if that. Wasn't anything I could learn from at that age of my life in my early teens. It's something I definitely tell myself today. You know, at any pivot, because the reality is, all you could do is show up. Mm -hmm. What else is going to happen at the end? Like my mom would be like, "What's the worst someone could say to you?" No, is that really is that the worst that could happen? Then think of like the abundance of the best that could happen, like and everything that's in between that, right? And so, I think because I had that as an example there is a side of me that feels more comfortable making pivots. Now, granted, it's scary. And this one has been very scary because I have had a job since I was 15 years old. I have not been unemployed since I was 15. Not by, by choice. I did do a semester off in school to volunteer um, and to do an internship. Outside of that in college, I have had a job. every. I've had a job since I was 15 years old. Yeah. And so not having that, not having this thing that quote, unquote, defines me, right, my, my restaurant career, you know, this person I've become, did not having that was definitely a shot to my ego, not gonna lie. It's hard. It was hard. And it was hard every day. But to trust in the process and trust in what I'm trying to do, uh, trust in just myself, it's just, it's been, it's, it's a daily process. I will tell you right now, I wrote this book and I was like, okay, the book's done. And this was a couple <laughs> months ago. I was like, hey, wrote a book, done. And I met, I had years ago, met this woman named Amelia who became my editor, shout out to Amelia Ferreira. She is amazing. Um, I sent it to Amelia and I was like, hey Amelia, you know, we've always kind of kept in correspondence. And I was like, I wrote a book. I know you've written books why don't you read the book and let me know if it's even worth anything. And she thought I was sending her just like a basic manuscript. And I sent her a book, like all the photo, fo- everything was done. Or so I thought it was done. Right. Uh, and then she kind of comes through and was just like, the book is wonderful. Actually, she said the book was brilliant. when she said the book was brilliant, I thought I was going to die. Um, it was so <laughs> objective. It felt so good to hear. Um, and but she made me change a bunch of stuff and it was like these long editing sessions of changing this and change that and this will should be this way and that's the format of this and this and that and like it was just this constant like at one point I was just like I don't even know what this book is anymore um I remember after my very last editing session I had been editing for six hours straight and my legs had like fallen asleep and my friend calls me and he's like how'd your last editing session go and I'm like I don't even want to write this book anymore. I'm so <laughs> done. I can't. This book's over. Like, I just can't. I can't do it anymore. Like, I'm done. I'm so tired. I don't even care if it becomes a book. No one's going to love it. It's so. And he <laughs> just was like, stop. You're amazing. It's going to be fine. Like, you've done this. You've done the work. It's good. And, you know, be proud of yourself. And it was like, all right, I got to quickly check myself, come out of that. And and so yeah, it's all of it. And it's a huge roller coaster. I mean, I think when I first started doing Maganda Kitchen, like the quarantine cocktails, I'm like, I'm a plant-based page. Our cocktails are gonna be something that people, you know, there's so many haters out there, right? So it's like are people gonna like love it or hate it? And people loved it, and I was surprised by that. And um, but it has that that pivoting has happened a few times in my life and I think it's made me that more of that Jane of all trades, it's made me more well-rounded. And I think it's also helped me receive this moment. Cause I think there are times where I do not want to receive this moment, you know? Um, because I used to work 60 hours a week, you know? And it's like, I'm not doing that anymore. And it's hard to receive this moment when it's like, it. there's so many other things that are outside of my control. Um, but I will say here, all of the emotions you expressed, I, I've gone through all of them and, and I still do. You know, when the book sold in three days, I had all this, I had all, all these assets for Christmas ready to go. Like, get your book because of Christmas and da 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 and have, you know. It was like the book was like sold in three days and I'm like, what am I going to do? I created all these assets. Like, I don't know <laughs> what to do now. It's just, okay, maybe I should have gotten more limited edition copies. <laughs> uh, oh, so, the ha- you know, that was a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. The to have.
0: Well, there's a lot to unpack about what you just said, but I think some of my key takeaways are that having important people in your life or people who are invested in you and who are just as passionate about your passions or even maybe sometimes who see the things in you that you don't always see in yourself, I think is so important um, as part of this journey. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of having something seemingly terrible in your life or seemingly life-ending or life-altering become this pivotal moment of kind of a catalyst, you know, changing your direction or something that you thought was really horrible all of a sudden becomes this amazing opportunity. I think back to every point in my life where I was scared or didn't want to make the change or just, honestly, it's the fear. I think a lot of the time that just holds us back because I know for myself, I'm the same way. I'm a planner. I love to know what's coming next. I'm not the kind of person that would quit a job without another one lined up. That just doesn't happen for me. It's it's hard. I have a lot of anxiety. It gets in the way of making these (laughs) spontaneous decisions. Oh, I know. So, you know, you get to a point though where you're right. You accept what it is that is happening and you use it as the catalyst to move you forward. But I do think that having those important people in your life makes a huge difference having your mom. I think we all kind of grow up to be like, everyone told me this and I was like, nah, it's never happened. I'm my mom now. Like I look at my mom, I looked at her the other day when we were walking, we were like walking together and we were both wearing like wool socks with Birkenstocks. And I'm like, this is like what the future is, you know? Like I have become her and I'm so ha- I'm so much better for it, but we're lucky to have those people in our lives to help inform You know, our decisions are our path for us too sometimes when we need it.
1: Oh, 100%. I mean, and and to what you say, like sometimes there's that, that fear, that fear is paralyzing, right? Um, I maybe should have mentioned this earlier. So my my social, uh, out, you know, social media persona is Maganda Kitchen. Maganda is a play on words. Maganda means beautiful in Tagalog. I'm half Filipino, I'm Puerto Rican. Um, before that, 10 years ago, I created Maganda Films and Maganda Films, which I still technically I'm whatever I'm producing when it comes to the content is under the like under the umbrella of Maganda Films, anything we film, but ha- even creating that, creating Maganda Films a lot, a lot of it was, I was the almost so many times when I was acting, I was happy to be in the room. Mm-hmm. But it was like, ooh, but the producers went another way. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember there was this huge, huge commercial deal with, um do you ever remember, like, hi, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC. You remember those yeah. back in the day? Like, it was like, so they were going to uh, create a new character called The Customer. And they shot it with me and they shot it with this other woman. She was blonde hair, white woman. Um, and in the end, the, the, t- the, the casting director everyone's like we love you we want to move forward with you producers aren't sure so they shot uh, kind of like a test and they did a test with me and they did a test with her and they went with her but in the end of the commercial at the end of the read you kind of got to ad-lib a little bit you know it's like hi i'm a hi i'm a i'm a you know pc i'm a mac at the end of my ad-lib i said hi i'm a megan right <laughs> i just i don't know where it came from but it was like at the end it was like we had to do our little banter of all the different types of commercials they wanted us to do in the end, they wrote that in Mm -hmm. for the girl, the other girl. Hi, I'm a Megan. The commercial did not do well in the end they pulled it. Um, it went on like some internet outlets and some in-house outlets, but it didn't become like the Justin Long and the, you know, what they thought it was going to be. But when I saw it, my brother sent it to me, he was like, they said, I'm a Megan. Like the, and I was just like, wow, that's crazy. And it really catapulted me in like, I'm happy to be in the room. I'm happy to be the almost girl. I'm happy to be the girl on hold. But what I really want to do is create a room where I'm not just the other. Mm -hmm. I want to create a room where I'm, I'm the equal. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times we are, we are judged by the hue of our skin. Mm -hmm. I'm judged by how curly my hair is and how slanted my eyes are. I, this, I'm judged by my height. There's, there's everything that comes into play with that and i, I wanted to start a women led film group by women of color that didn't look at a, an actor or a or a script or a project based off of any of those things mm-hmm. it was based off of passion good writing great acting i want to be involved like that's what it was and that fear right that fear am i going to be taken seriously i mean for the last two years of Maganda Films in New York, we showed at Lincoln Center both years for the last two years for at the Film Society of Lincoln Center. And it was these big moments in my life. And and I think there was so much fear in it, but it is having those people in your corner. It's having those mirrors, having them like you're real, really like, there are times, I mean, sometimes I feel like I sound like, I, oh, I could do that. I could do that. There are days where I feel like I cannot, I cannot do it. And I have to call on my strong friends, you know, and my mirrors, the mirrors in my life that are going to be able to reflect the brilliance that I have or my worth that I can't see in those moments. And having that strong team of people by your side is, is really all you can ask for, especially during a time like this. Because I think when, when I'm receiving what's happening now, I have to look at like, this sounds so cliche, but like the sky is the limit. Like I do feel limitless because i have made smart decisions in my life that got me here that it's like i can do something i really love doing and still have a roof over my head and still have food in my belly and feel beyond blessed and fortunate to have that you know um, but i i would not I, won't, I wouldn't have any of that if i didn't have the different mirrors in my life to show to show me that worth to show me my light to show me that my brilliance Brilliance, not necessarily in my brain, but, like, how we radiate and how we show ourselves, so.
0: For sure, to all of that. I feel it's, it is, it's one of those things where now when I, when I look at fear, when I have that moment of just in the pit of my stomach, straight up panic, I have to take a minute to, to ask myself why I'm feeling like that, and if I'm feeling Mm -hmm. that because, It's not. It's out of the ordinary, or it's not what I planned, or it wasn't something that you know was part of my vision. I have to reevaluate like where I am with it because it's not always about that. You know, sometimes it's about just looking fearful on in the face. There's a book that Marie Forleo. Oh yes. Yes, I love her. Everything
1: is fix. Figure outable.
0: Figure outable. Yeah. And I love. You want to
1: hear a fun fact? Yeah, her partner in life was my acting teacher, Josh Pice. Oh, really? Her, par- her like her partner, her, her I don't know if they're married, but they're par- her partner still to okay. this day, Josh Pice was my acting teacher. That was yeah. a total sidebar. So funny. Oh my gosh. What <laughs> yeah.
0: <are the> <laughs> yeah, she, I mean, my mom coincidentally introduced me to her um, and kind of started sending me a lot of her newsletters and things like that. So I watched some of her videos and anyways, I saw the title of her book and I was like, yes, that is exactly what it is. Because honestly, in my career, you know, I work for full time. I'm the marketing strategist for a, um, a news organization here in DC. Um, and part time I do all these other things. You know, I have my podcast, I have my small business on the side. I'm constantly just like trying to figure out what my passions are. In fact, I just feel like there's not enough time in the day to get to mm. all the things that like I want to learn or I want to do. But anyways, I took that phrase of everything is figure outable and it's become kind of like my mantra because I do feel like sometimes the fear comes from just not knowing. Like mm. you to something and you're like, I just don't know how for example, with this podcast, I don't know how to edit audio, or I don't know how to create a promo, or I don't know, you know, how to write a, a description for a podcast, like all of these small, seemingly small things, but each of those is a hurdle in the process of like fully having something come to fruition. And a lot mm-hmm. of people get stuck on each of those hurdles. And I myself do that all the time too, because I'm like, it's not good enough. I didn't get where I wanted it to be. Will people like this as much as I do? Like, I don't know, just because I like it doesn't necessarily mean that other people are going to like it, you know? So it's just kind of, I don't know, the process of having that fear. Now I feel is almost like my, like, it's kind of like my ammunition. Like when I Mm. fear, I feel like, okay, this is the right decision then. Like, does it scare me? I should probably do it. And yeah. I have friends in my life too. It's funny because a friend of mine was just talking about going back to school um, and getting her PhD. And she's like, I don't know, should I do it? I have a full-time job. It seems like taking on a lot. And I was like, is it something that you would look back and say to yourself, you know, I really missed a chance. I missed an opportunity. I didn't do something that I really wanted to do. And she's like, yeah, I do feel like that. And I'm like, then it doesn't, the fear shouldn't stop you, the hesitation, you know, the doubt of yourself because ultimately if you want it enough, you'll do it. And the fear should be the thing that
1: propels you forward, you know? 100%. 100%. I mean, I think I've heard that so much in my life is, you know, I would, I would ask myself when I would, when I'm 50, do I want to look back and say, I wish I had, you know, like I've lived, I feel like I've lived everywhere. I've lived so many places, San Francisco, New York. I was predominantly from New York, raised in San Francisco, Bay area, came back to New York. I lived in Waikiki. Now I lived literally five years ago. If someone said to me, I was going to be a homeowner in DC. I would have been like, what? No. Like, like I said, like if I went and got my palm read and they're like, five years from now, you will be a homeowner in DC. I'm like, girl, I want my money back. Like, where's my money? Where have you been drinking? Yeah. Like what have you been doing? Um, but you know what I mean? It's like, but that's just because every day it's like trying something new and getting out there and saying like, this is what I want. And I don't want to say, I wish I had, I don't ever want to turn back and be like, well, I wish I had done that because I I don't think that it's just not part of my character but at the end of the day you know that all we have is right now
0: Mm -hmm. all we have
1: is this moment and and it it's it's what we do with it that I think for me is what brings me joy and sometimes what brings me joy is sitting on the couch and watching Emily in Paris I mean I'm just gonna be real (laughs) you know it was really good (laughs) it was really good I was surprised I'm not surprised like I don't because I watched a lot of TV. But I was like, "This is good." I was like, "Let's do another one."
0: <laughs> I just saw that Virgin River actually came out with a second season. Did you watch that? No. Kick flick to the max. However, it was really an easy watch. And sometimes I just need like a low emotion type show that can just I can sit on the couch and not feel a high level of anxiety about what's happening. Yes. And the show did that for me. So if you I'll have, put it on the list. Yeah add
1: it to the list. <laughs> Emily in Paris. Yeah. Sorry. No. Yeah. I but sometimes like if that's what I want to do in this moment, I have to feel completely content and okay with it. Like and not feel guilt and not feel anything for making that choice. It's, it's every choice. It's not just the big choices in our lives, you know, cause I could very easily make myself feel terrible for eating, you know, you know, going a little overboard on my Uber Eats order. I'm being like maybe I do really want to get a second thing of fries like in those moments too it's I'm you know all I have is this moment if that's what I want am I going to regret not getting it or not am I going to regret it at any point in my life and so it's the smallest things and it's the grand things and I think we we should give that allowance to ourselves
0: Mm -hmm.
1: no I agree I feel
0: like that's I think that's a key part too. I will thank quarantine a little bit for that because at least because I feel like it gave me back my balance a little bit. And I know you were were working a ton. I have always worked a ton, still work a ton, but like I still, I think that it gave me back the ability to say no to the things that are not as important or that I don't have time for or things, honestly, sometimes that I just don't want to do. Like, and I Mm -hmm. think we're allowed that there are so little opportunities in life where you can be like, I just really don't want to do that. I, you know, there's so many things where (laughs) you have to say yes, but I feel like I've come to more of a realization, like, you know, just in terms of like prioritizing, you know, what is important and what kind of fills me up? Because I think as people who are um, planners or people who pour a lot of themselves into their work or people who are really, I don't know, like you just constantly feel like you almost like prolific. It's not even prolific, but it, but it's kind of like, you constantly feel like you have to be doing something all the time. Like if you're not doing something, not being productive, you know, but sometimes the most productive days for me are the ones where I take the time to like fill myself back up because then the next day I can get back on it be like okay I had this moment I took what I needed for myself and I will say that I think quarantine has helped me with that
1: oh I want I completely agree I've never had this much time yeah I have never had this much time and I 100% agree with the idea of being productive because I do feel like if I'm not if I'm not investing in my productivity even in myself I feel like I'm failing and that 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 had to shift that had to pivot and I was having a conversation with someone the other day. And they were saying like how they didn't feel productive. I was like, that sounds like a pretty productive weekend to me. <laughs> and it was, they were like, no, it wasn't productive at all. I was like, hmm. yeah, <laughs> you know, to tomato, I guess I, I, in my mind, I'm like, what did you do? Like you, you did enough to, to do what you needed to do. If you, if being productive, sometimes is watching TV. I, I hate to say that, or it is just taking a minute. It's just saying like, nah, I've, I don't want to. Like that yeah. could be productive. Like the art of saying no is so powerful. It's like saying no, I don't have time, and no, I would, I prefer not to. Are things that I just did not feel I had the power to say before, and now I do think COVID gave me that. COVID has given me a lot of time, um, which I never had before. It's really like I've lit- when I say I've worked since I was fifteen. I've worked since I was fifteen. I double majored in college. Like I have always been on the go and to be able to have a calm and quiet and still like literally shelter in place have all of that happen at first i thought i was like going to go crazy mm-hmm. and instead it was receiving it understanding it you know and and trying to move forward and 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 adjusting and i I will say like I'm someone that does try to find the silver lining in everything. I think sometimes to a fault, um, trying to find the, you know, the the bright side. Uh, but that for me, that is COVID for me for sure. And I I completely agree with you. And especially at our, the type of people we are and the industries that we've worked in, you do, you do measure yourself and we value ourselves on what we produce. And sometimes that's, that's not accurate. You know, it's really not. And, you know, when you were saying about your podcast of, are they going to like it? Or if I make something, are they going to like it? Someone really, someone recently said to me, do you like it? Do you like your book? I'm Like, yeah, I love my book. Then it doesn't matter. That's their perception. I'm never going to be able to change someone's Point of view, their perception, what they want, how they see, what they it's like a meal. Like, you know, we worked in industry, they see something on the menu and they say, I'm gonna get this. And then this comes out and they're like, What is that? It's like, That's what you ordered. Were you mm-hmm. not there? I was there. This is what you ordered. And it's like, That's not their perception. So they immediately have to have a negative experience. That has nothing to do with me, it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with the menu, it has nothing to do with anything outside of their own perspective and themselves. And so it's, I know it's hard to do, but it's in those moments, especially as a creative and especially having outlets and having passions. if you like it, then that's all you, that's all that really matters. If you're proud of it, that's all that really matters. I think, and, and I, and I've taken that from producing films to educating people, to helping companies make money to doing my own stuff in Magana kitchen, like they're, are days where i'm just like are people really gonna want to watch me make this cocktail <laughs> and then it's like all these like this is the best cocktail i can't wait to try it And i'm like wow okay let's go let's go like because i liked it i like you know what i mean and so i think if as you do that and as you as those moments come into your mind i or the thoughts come into your mind i think that's power that's power is being able to say i like it and i i I'm proud of it. Uh, everyone else, do what you will. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's great advice.
0: I think, too, and I don't know if you agree with it or not, you'll have to, but um, <laughs> struggle with that also as a woman because, and that, oh know, yeah, something that we were talking about earlier when you were talking about, you know, wanting to have a, a woman led uh, production company. I mean, that was the whole premise behind Ellie Jane Collective, and when I started, there were plenty of people who were like, well, don't you feel it's, like, a little discriminatory to just focus on women-owned businesses, which is kind of <laughs> ironic. Don't you feel like there will be also be men, like, artists and business owners that you would want to support? I'm like, it's not about that. <laughs> Feel <laughs> with them, honestly, because yes, of course. And also I have amazing men in my life. I have amazing fathers yes. have men in my life. I have amazing boyfriend. My brothers are, ama- you know, like I have a, a ton of steady men in my life and I could not live the life that I live without them. My boyfriend's incredible. Like without his support, honestly, I would, I don't know where I would be, but that being said, I feel like even to this day, I struggle day-to-day with being a female in a world where I still feel like you have to think about every single thing that you do as it relates to being a woman. Like, it never changes. Mm. It's gone away. Being in, you know, working day-to-day, like, in my career and things like that, I still come across people that I'm like, wow, that was, that was sexist. Still, like, yeah, it, it's a very real thing to encounter every, every single day in my business, in my, in my day-to-day life interactions with people. Like, I think that doubt sometimes inherently is also part of being a woman. I don't yes. think I can always have that same doubt.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, especially like in working restaurants and industry. Um, I remember one time, this one place I worked at, I was a manager and I had a young white kid, uh, he was my host, and he always dressed very nice, um, but people made the assumption that he was the manager. And there were times where he'd be like, oh, you should talk to my ma- you should talk to the manager, it's the manager. And they're like, no, I wanna talk to you. I wanna talk to her. You know. Um, even when I was here at the Howard, I would have people always just like, no, I wanna talk to him, I wanna talk to that guy. And they're like, well, she hired that guy, so you should talk to her. Like, and having that as a constant, I hate to say this and not, I don't know how to say this and not sound cliche, not cliche, but just full of it Mm -hmm. is I have to find that as my power Mm -hmm. because I'm unassuming. It's Mm -hmm. like, also, you don't have any expectations of me. So watch me Mm -hmm. like hold this, hold my beer. Right. It's like, hold my, it's like, I'm that person. Right. Mm -hmm. I am, I am the boss. I've been the boss in, in the last how many years of my life. I have been the boss. I have been the, that's, that's the person you talk to her right there. Mm-hmm. And I find I have to find power in that and shift the doubt. It's a mental game because once again, it's has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the other person's perception and it is harder. And we do have to work twice as hard and we do have to, you know, there's, I, I I recently have, I started consulting again. So I recently started consulting and had to do a big meeting and I'm in a room basically full of men mm-hmm. and I'm telling them what to do. And they're all looking at first, they're like, who's this girl coming in here? And I look younger than I am. I mean, it's that vegan skin, you know? Um, I, <laughs> and they're like, who is she and how is she gonna tell me? And I come with, you know, I have to just come correct with knowing what I know and my expertise. And slowly you watch people's minds shift. It's like you can watch them, like their eyes change, their, their body language changes. It's like, for me, that feels like a power. It feels like a superpower that I have. It's like, go ahead, underestimate me. Like I said, hold my beer, like hold it for a second while I school you on who I am. Because just so you know, I am the GOAT. And it's hard for women to say that. Like, when the first time I was called the GOAT, I was like, what does that mean? Because I'm not hip and cool. But um, the first time someone called me, the some, one of my kids, I called them my kids, someone that works for me. I call them all my kids. I'm a helicopter mom. And one of my kids, it was like, Miss Megan, you're the GOAT. I was like, what is that? What does that mean? Do I need to write you up? Like I was did like, not fully understand and not grasp it. And I was like, in that well. Afterwards, I walked away. I was like, "Damn, I'm the goat." Go? Shoot! So by the time y'all noticed, and <laughs> sometimes it's hard to say that out loud. It is like we have to make our. Let me make myself small. Let me just make myself small to make everyone else in this room feel more comfortable. And the times in my life where I've done that, I have been the most unhappy. Mm-hmm. In those job settings and those projects or whatever it is because I'm let me shove myself down let me make myself small to make everyone else feel happy. But the reality is when I'm actually myself and I show up as the goat, everyone else everyone else is also their their experience is amplified as well because yeah. they get the trueness they get who we are So yes it's challenging I will not deny that. Yes when I walk into a room I know people make assumptions of who I am, not just based off my gender, but based off the hue of my my skin, you know, and I get it. And I see it every day. But all I could do is turn it into my power. Because like I said, I'm going to show I'm going to show them why I'm the person walking into the room. And I want to create more rooms for women that look like me, the women that look like you women for like for my children's children, so that they walk into a room and they are surrounded by their equals and that they don't have to make themselves small to make anyone feel more comfortable with who they are yes
0: yes to all of that <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think that all of that is 100 percent true and I also think that that is why I never feel bad for yep. discriminating <laughs> in my yep. business of supporting women because I don't think that it should be something that I need to feel guilty for. You know what I mean? It's not something Mm -hmm. that I should ever look at and be like, you know, maybe it's not inclusive. I think there have been way too many times when the doors were just automatically closed for women and I just am not about to create an environment where I feel guilty for maybe not always including, you know, other artists if they're not female. Like, I want to be that person that does that, you know? Mm Mm-hmm a huge part of, of my business. And I feel a huge part of my, I don't know, my like pride
1: in what I've built. Right. And you should feel proud. You should feel proud of that. Yeah. I, not to cut you off. Yeah. I, I don't think, I hate that word when it's like, we're just, dis- like they're, we're be- they're being discriminated against. It's like, those are the people that say all lives matter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't understand being marginalized. You don't mm-hmm. understand being that person it's yes, in a perfect world, in in this like in this world where there's peace on earth and everyone holds hands and sing kumbaya. Sure, sure, but that's not the reality that we live in. And it's like walk walk a mile in that other person's shoes and you see who's discriminated against. Mm-hmm. And you I, know, and yeah. yeah, go ahead.
0: No, no, no. I just yes, absolutely. And I also think too, it's kind of the same thing with you know that almost like stereotype of the angry feminist it's you know you always have to feel bad for pushing this agenda when the reverse has been pushed on you for so long and i'm not saying you know once again that it's not that i don't have the support of the men around me it has nothing to do with that like it has nothing right. to do with hating you know men or not wanting to have men in my life or anything about the influences of men at all in fact it has nothing to do with that it just has to do with the fact that I have created so many amazing friendships and met so many amazing people just by promoting the fact that women are doing amazing things too, you know right. and uplifting each other and being that opportunity and that resource for each other
1: to grow. Right. Instead of putting us against each other, which I feel like culturally is how people what what people have done for so long, right? Because there's only this much of the pie for the women. So all right. you women get your joust and let's see who wins, right? Yeah. It's like, this is how much pie we got for you. Who's gonna fight for the pie? Right. You know, it's just like, nah, I made my own pie. Y'all mm-hmm. y'all want some pie, you can come over, try it. Let's we'll see if you fight for the pie, right? It's mm-hmm. like, no, I did my own. Like mm-hmm. we're doing it on our own and we're uplifting each other. So yeah, no, I don't, I, I wouldn't feel bad. I don't feel, I, but the reality is like, I'm also surrounded by, I mean, I have a very good relationship with my father. I have a really good relationship with my stepfather. I, I have two brothers. You know, I some of my best friends in this world are men. Right. Um, and it's like, but it's not like, I also believe that not one of them would ever say to me if when I was creating Maganda films or any project that I've ever worked on that was about promoting women that I was being discriminated against anyone. It's not about being discriminated. It's not discriminating against one. It's uplifting another. Right. You know? Right. Well, I think that's a good part of it too. Um,
0: speaking of like TV shows, we started watching The Crown too, which is, <laughs> cool.
1: and everyone told me to watch that. I haven't gone into that one yet. It no. took us a while. <laughs> this is the third try. Okay. So three tries, maybe three tries to charm.
0: Um, but there is a portion of it where the, I don't know, there's some back and forth between Queen Elizabeth and her husband, all this stuff. And, um, you know, he basically says, I don't want to, during the coronation ceremony, it's custom, customary or cu- yeah, customary for the men to bow in front of the queen. And he's like, well, I feel like you should make an exception for me because I'm your husband and I should not have to bow down to you. And she's like, I'm not asking you to bow down to me as your wife. I'm asking you to bow down to me as your queen. And it's yes. different. And I do feel like that is kind of the mentality that, and sometimes you have to educate people on that. You know, sometimes you have to take the time to say, I understand how you feel. I can see your perspective. However, here is why it's wrong. <laughs> like, right. here is why, you know, I'm not asking you to make exceptions for me or, you know, I'm not asking you to, I'm, I'm actually not trying to discriminate against you at all. Like it it has nothing to do with you. It just has to do with the fact that like moving forward, I want to be the person that uplifts and inspires and allows other people to walk into a room and feel like they're included and they belong. And you're right. Somebody who understands that would never ask you or tell you that what you're doing as a woman to help other women is discriminatory. Yep. I think that's a great point. Yeah. So how do you feel like your intuition has played a role. We'll go back into the cookbook because I want to talk more about that. But Okay. Um, <laughs> how do you feel like your intuition played a role in, you know, the st- starting on that? Like, because this was a whole outside of the realm of anything, writing, coming up with a cookbook, photography, like what kind of propelled you to keep moving that project
1: forward? So my intuition... I, it's hard to say, to be honest, because my, my intuition just told me, do what you love and be unapologetically yourself in the process. Mm-hmm. Now I have written before. So I, when I was doing like the Gunda films, I had written scripts. Okay. I've been in the process of writing a different, different book, a narrative, uh, or a, it's a collection of sorts, short stories, um, m- type of memoir since I was like 18 or 19. I started writing that book. Um, so I've written, um, writing a cookbook though is uh, its own beast on it, uh, which I was not, I was definitely not prepared for mentally, uh, to do, but you know, that intuition for me is has been the same driving force in any time in my life that I've taken on a project it's trying to trust your gut trust your your COVID quarantine gut you yeah. know trust your gut <laughs> and um and try to move forward you know all week that's I mean I think that's that's at the root of it that's that that was really at the root of Everything I've done for Maganda Kitchen—I mean, Maganda Kitchen really started with this thing I did called 100 Plant-Based Recipes. I did one recipe a day for 100 days, mm-hmm. which taking the photos and the step-by-step and the a videos lot. and the oh my goodness! When I first thought of it, I thought that's fun because there was that whole happy you know 100 Happy Day Challenge that had happened years ago. It's like, what if I did 100 Happy Recipes? Let's do 100 recipes let me put out a recipe every day for 100 days and that was crazy but it really kind of catapulted me into this world of sharing love with food and that's where share love with food came from it was like someone said to me that's that's what you do like you just share love food with love I was like yeah that's it that's all I want to do and (laughs) and what and when I had time to do it that's all I, at the end of the it, it's all I wanted to do and give people just a little glimpse into the world of plant-based and that it could be, you know, I say eat in color, it could be colorful, it could be flavorful. It doesn't have to break the bank. You know, I don't use a lot of processed foods in any of my recipes. In the book, there's only one recipe that has tofu in it and the tofu is optional. Everything in the book, all 21 recipes. Uh, and what and and I in a dessert has protein powder in it for like a, like protein balls, mm-hmm. but other than that, the whole book is whole food. Mm-hmm. They're food you can get that don't break the bank, that will will feed you well. Um, and so, being able to do that and share that experience with people, I think my intuition, that faith that I have, like I said, trusting my gut, it was kind of that driving force.
0: What do you feel like? your relationship is with food
1: well (laughs) you know there's a quote I mean there's a quote that I have in my book it's it's one of my favorite quotes and I I feel like I'm going to butcher it now so I was like maybe I should pull the book up but so it's you know it's called share love with food and the quote from the book is is cooking is a chance to share a little bit of yourself with someone you love It can also be a chance to share a little love with yourself. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's so much of my relationship. It's deeply rooted in everything I've ever done in my life. I could think back through my childhood and every major memory in my life is deeply rooted in a connection with food, Mm -hmm. preparing for parties and learning how to cook these different things. And like my dad cooks one meal a week and it's Sunday breakfast Usually a frittata of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was like that, and my and not just that, but like my dad would do that blasting salsa music, you know, and that's my memory of food. It's it's that, it's celebrating moments with family members and friends at my favorite restaurants, but also like the moments we share at thousands of tables in my lifetime, mm-hmm. the community that gets built sitting at that table. You know, I write in the book that my mom, even when I was dancing competitively and out all, all day and all night rehearsing, I would come home and she would still set a, p- a table for me. And she would sit, and even though she ate with my brothers, she would still sit and eat a little bit with me. And she sets the table, and, and my mother still does this. She still gets the, the table, the plate with the napkin, you get your napkin on the side and your fork in it. And she sets the table. Still to this day, I went up to visit her for Thanksgiving. Like, still to this day, every meal—I don't care if it's breakfast, I don't care if we're just having a bagel—some there's a there's a setting. There's like this is our moment. This is where we build community. Um, so that's you know it's deeply rooted in, in in who I am. It's deeply rooted in in how I was raised, and I think honestly, it's 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 made me who I am. Yeah. What do you hope that this cookbook?
0: accomplishes for what is your hope putting it out into the world my hope
1: yeah, yeah. uh I hope to write more books I'm already writing on I'm already writing uh, creating recipes for a second book um nice. so hopefully to have start getting that done in the early next year start really that process all over again um and have a book series Uh, you know, an ideal world experience plant-based DC goes global and I get to kind of travel the world like an Anthony, Anthony Bourdain meets Ina Gardner, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, do a little stuff at home and, and share really being able to share that experience with people. Right. I do think it's like in, in experienced plant-based DC and experienced plant-based around the world, it's creating more awareness of the art of dining, right and understanding of when you go out and the things to be aware of and and who we are and how to act and um it's all part of it so I think if I could ideally I would love a way to fuse all that together and and just kind of share that and share a little bit of myself with with everyone that I come in contact with and and hopefully they enjoy the process enjoy the ride with me Megan thank you
0: so much for taking the time to chat with me today it was so much fun
1: no, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad I was able to have a little wine too. <laughs> <laughs> my
0: margarita is empty, so I'm going to have to get a refill after this. But, <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much. Thank you so, so much again for listening. For more about me, Ellie Rowe, and my business, Ellie Jane Collective, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Ellie Jane Collective or online at EllieJaneCollective.com. And I think you know what time it is. (laughs) It's time for me to ask you to please share this podcast with others. If you haven't already, please leave us a rating or a review on whatever podcast platform it is you're listening. And please reach out. If there are women you'd like to hear from, innovators doing amazing things in the community, we want to know about it. And in the meantime, please continue living your life with intention and cultivating it consciously.